Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, open your eyes to the world at the end of your pointed fingers. Let our hearts be led by mercy and help us reach with open hearts and open doors. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, break our heart for what breaks yours. And friends, that's my prayer for this church, that we'd be that kind of church. You know, we're in this series, Level Up, and uh, we've been uh, talking about living on a whole nother level in, in our lives. We've been looking at one of the most practical books in the New Testament, the book of James. And James focuses on how to mature in our faith. And today we're going to talk about a sin that we're really, really good at. And that's pointing our fingers. Pointing our fingers and, and judging being being consumed with a thing called criticism. And I know as I say that, some of you are thinking right now, well, I'm going to download this message, I'm going to give it to my parents, I'm going to give it to a friend of mine, and wow, that would be a really good one for my neighbor to hear, and I've got this co-worker, they really need to hear that, and that's tempting, isn't it? You see, you've got your finger pointed But I want to suggest that it's time that we open our eyes and we change our focus and we begin to look at ourselves. You know, James writes this, he says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? I mean, any time I judge you, and any time you judge me, we're playing God in our, li- in our lives. You know, and today what I want to do, I want to look at why we judge, why we shouldn't judge, and why it's wrong to judge. And then we're going to look at how we kind of level up in our lives and we actually quit pointing our fingers at, at one another. And when we quit, here's the thing. We become healthier in our lives and we become much, much happier. And most importantly, in that we begin to please God with, with how we live our lives. Scripture says, says this, Paul writes this, he says, But you, my friends, do these very things for which you pass judgment on others. Do you think you will escape God's judgment? That's pretty pointed, isn't it? Paul says, we, we tend to judge people for the very things we do in our own lives. I mean, why, why is that? Well, psychologists have known this for a long time, that when somebody reacts very violently to a particular sin, it usually means they have a hang-up with it. And I want you to listen carefully, because I'm not saying necessarily they're involved in that sin, but it means they struggle. And psychologists would tell you it's a very complicated thing. And so we tend to point fingers at the kind of things that we actually dislike about ourselves or things that that we kind of battle with. And I think it's easy to point fingers because you know what we're good at? Excusing ourselves. 
you know, excusing ourselves. We, we think that, that God's kind of forgotten about what we've done. And so we think that we can point our finger at someone else and we won't look so bad. And so we love to accuse others, but excuse ourselves. You know, sometimes I think we're kind of blatant about it, to be honest. We go, you know, yeah, I'm not perfect, but look at them, you know. And it's like, see, we're good at making excuses for ourselves. We, We play a little game. I think we believe we're pretty coy at it. We relabel things, don't we? We relabel things. We go, I'm not gossiping. I'm just sharing my concerns with other people. I'm not lazy. I'm just kind of mellow. I take things as it comes. I'm not negative. I'm just being realistic about things. I'm not unreliable. I'm just flexible. Sometimes I don't get there when I say I'm going to get there. Sometimes I don't do what I say I'm going to do because I'm flexible. See how it goes. And we use these different terminologies in our lives to excuse sin sometimes. We excuse our our faults, our our shortcomings, whatever word you want to use. I also think it's easy to point your finger at other people because when you judge them, it kind of appeals to your pride, doesn't it? I mean, one way we, we judge is uh, with, with a thing called gossip. In fact, Proverbs says this. It says, gossip is so tasty, how we love to swallow it. What? You got something to tell me? We're all ears, right? We like to hear stuff. Why? Because it, it captures our imagination, our curiosity. And the fact is, it's the nature of sin to kind of draw you in. And as you get drawn in, you're actually being drawn away from God in that moment. And if you're a Christian, the Bible would indicate over and over that it's actually a sin for you to judge. It's a sin. It's a one that's actually dealt with over and over in Scripture. It's that self-righteous attitude, that, that critical spirit, that, that judgmental spirit. In fact, Jesus condemns that sin many times in Scripture. And let's be very, very clear. All of us, all of us here, in fact, say all of us, all of us here battle with this. We battle with this in our lives on some level or another. I mean, some, it's almost like uh, slander in the first degree. We, we kind of point our finger, you know, we zero in. We, we get, get them locked and loaded, and we're ready, and then we say, do you, do you know about them? Do you know what they're doing? You want to know? And, and we just, bang, we take them out. You know, some are more sophisticated. You go, oh, I'd never do that. No, some are kind of go for second degree where they go, we need to pray for so-and-so because let me tell you what's going on in their life. <laughs> you know, we get excited about it. It's like a righteous assassin, you know, where we're going to take them out. And if you're not careful... That prayer chain can become a gossip grapevine, so to speak. And let's be honest, we all love to hear gossip, right? It's true. We like gossip. 
And when we point our finger, when we start judging others, what happens is it kind of boosts our ego. You know, it it feeds our our pride. And so whenever you're pointing a finger at someone, you know, my grandpa used to say, you got one pointed at them, look where the other three are. They're pointing back at you. I mean, why, why shouldn't we judge? Why shouldn't we point our finger at other people? Well, back, back to the scriptures we, we started with. It says, brothers and sisters do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment of it. James is very clear. He says, you know, it's, it's not Christian to, to point your finger at people, to, to judge them. In fact, he would remind us over and over, and he uses the term, he goes, we're brothers and sisters. We're all brothers and sisters. And I think, why does James keep hammering this? I get it, we're brothers and sisters. But he's reminding us that we're all in the same family. We belong to one family. So when we see a Christian that's stumbling or falling or having a tough time. We shouldn't get excited about it and rejoice. We, we should become very concerned. In fact, the, the word slanderer that, that's used is also the same word in the Greek for the word devil. So those two words are exactly the same. Devil means slanderer. The Bible calls the devil the accuser of Christians. I mean, what's that mean? Well, the number one activity of, of Satan, the evil one, the devil, whatever word you want to use there, is trying to bring Christians down. You know, he's trying to defeat us by accusing us, by pointing his finger. In fact, we are the most like the devil when we judge other people when we point a finger, when we speak against a brother or sister, when we criticize, when we hurt them, when we damage them. When we do those things, we're doing the work of the devil. He kind of goes, yeah, get out of their way. Let them do their thing. You know, John 8, 4 says the, the devil is the father of lies. You know, John ten ten says the thief comes. What, what's he come to do? He comes to steal and to kill and to destroy Revelation, it says the accuser is the evil one. He accuses brothers and sisters. It's unchristian for us to judge one another. And we shouldn't point a finger because it's just unloving. I mean, James says, if we speak against a brother or sister, we're speaking against the law. We're breaking the law. Well, what law is that? The kingdom of God's law. God's law in the kingdom. You know, James, he says, we do well if we really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. When we judge one another, we break that law to love our neighbors as ourselves. We break down. And I know some of you are going, yeah, but, but it's just words. You know, pe- people forget over time. It's not a big deal what I'm saying. And I want to say, no, no, no. 
Absolutely not. It's unchristian, it's unloving, and it's unjustified, James would tell us. James 4.12, he says, There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy, but you. Who are you to judge your neighbor? That word lawgiver, it's used uh, seven times in the Bible, six times in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament. And every single time, that reference of lawgiver is about God. God is the lawgiver. God is the judge. Christians, Christians, pointing your finger and judging people is not part of our job description. God has not commissioned you to assess someone else's sin and and go, aha, I'm going to judge you for that. In fact, I believe one of our greatest weaknesses in in the church today is that we write people off. You know, sometimes we we write them off, and it just messes things up. Our tendency is to point a finger, take a shot, and, and when we take that shot, we're doing the work of, of the evil one. I mean, when's it wrong to, to judge? Well, talked about it earlier a little bit. When we judge a brother or sister someone that's part of the family. And it's also wrong when we're practicing the same sin. And it's a very curious thing to me because we don't have that right when we're doing the same thing. We go, yeah, but it's a little different when I do it. Well, no. In fact, uh, Paul would write, he says, therefore you have no excuse, whoever you are. When you judge others, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the very same thing. Jesus would take that up a notch. Do you remember when he caught the woman in adultery? And they, they, the accusers drug her before Jesus. They threw her at his feet, and they wanted to know what to do. Now, they were trying to trip Jesus up, but they go, what should we do with her? See, they were going to stone her to death. And Jesus, very carefully, goes, yeah, you're right. That's what the law says, but let the person without sin cast the first stone. Scripture says one by one they dropped their rocks and they, they walked away. And then you have this great picture of Jesus where... He kneels down and says to her, where are your accusers? Go and sin no more. See, Jesus took that up a notch. You know, another caution about judgment, it comes from the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mountain. He writes this, or he says this. He says, for with the judgment you make... You will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. I love this. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Now, Jesus, we miss it, I think, but Jesus is using a little humor here. He talks about two people. He says, okay, one of them has some sawdust in their eye, and the other person has a telephone pole. You know. Can you picture it? And so Jesus says, you know, you get this telephone pole in your eye, 
you're, you're blind to, to your own faults, but, but you're noticing that somebody has sawdust in their eye? And Jesus is saying, it's wrong. You know, you, you can't judge when you're blind to your own faults. See, judgments, it's kind of that double-edged sword. It's with the judgment that we make that we get judged. If you're critical, it's like a yo-yo. It comes back at you, and it comes back hard. We make a lot of quick judgments too, don't we? You know, you meet somebody for the first time. Fifteen seconds in, you've made a decision, haven't you? Right? True? You're like, okay. We, we judge people quickly. You know, we judge them by, by their face. We judge them by the clothing they wear. We, we judge them by their hair. We, we judge them how they carry themselves. And Jesus says, do not judge people by their appearance. Quit it. Stop. There's a story in the Old Testament, and uh, the prophet Samuel, he is sent to anoint the, the next king for Israel. And God tells him to go to the, the home of Jesse. And so he gets there, and he sees the oldest son, Eliab. And this young man, he's tall, he, he's strong, he, he's a man of stature, and he, he's the oldest. So all appearances, Samuel makes a judgment immediately. This is him. This must be the one. And God says, no, no, you're wrong. He's not the one. In fact, God says, humans look at the appearance, but God says, I look at the heart. And so one by one, seven of Jesse's sons come before him one at a time. And each time they stand, each one stands before him, God says, nope, not that one, not that one, nope, not that one. Finally, those seven have been before him, and Samuel goes, do you have any other kids? Jesse goes, yeah, got, got one, but, you know, it's not him. It can't be him. I mean, he, he's, he's a shepherd. He's, he's the youngest. He, he, it's not him, trust me. And so they made a decision based on appearance. And Sammy goes, well, humor me. Go, go summon him and have him come in. David arrives. He's standing before Samuel. And God says, Samuel, rise up and anoint him. This young man, he's the one. He's the one. Nobody saw that coming. I mean, kind of closely related here. Paul, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals, a new moon celebration or the Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is what? Found in Christ. <laughs> Paul says, you know, don't judge people. You, you can't tell by looking at the external things. You can't tell by what they're eating, what they're drinking, how they're worshiping. You, you can't tell what's really going on. In fact, he says it's a mere shadow. It's not reality. The reality is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
See, when we judge, when we judge someone by the, the religious observances, the way that we look and we go, oh, yeah, that, they must, we're messing up. In fact, uh, Paul would spend the, the entire 14th chapter of Romans. It's a good read, by the way. But he's addressing this whole thing of judging. And so the church at that time was fighting. They were fighting about all kinds of things. And they're going, you can't be a Christian if you do that. And someone else is going, well, you can't be a Christian. You did that. And so they got this kind of battle going on in the church. And people are fighting about what can you do and can't you do. And I get asked often. People catch me and they'll go, can I do such and such and still be a Christian? Now, what they're asking me is, how close to the cliff can I get before I fall off? But these Christians, they're, they're fighting with each other, and they're judging one another, going, hey, you did that. I can't believe you did that. And so they, we've got this back and forth kind of thing going on. You know, can, can we eat this? Can we drink this? How, how should we worship? And they're judging each other, and they're fighting. And, and then... They end up calling each other. They go, well, you're just weak. You're a weak Christian. You're a strong Christian. I'm a strong Christian because I do this. And I can't believe you do that. And so they've got all this stuff going on. And Paul says, stop it. Quit. Quit. You're destroying the work of God for the sake of food and drink. You're hurting the ministry. You're judging one another. The, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, think about it. They were the religious leaders of the day. Everybody looked at them. They judged Jesus. They, they looked at Jesus and they go, oh, look at him. He's hanging out with drunkards, gluttons. He's a friend of sinners, and they didn't mean that nicely. We sang about it earlier. It's a beautiful thing, but they meant it as a, as a shot. Oh, he's a friend of sinners. They judged Jesus. And they didn't even know him. And man, were they wrong. As Christians, we're, we're not. We're not to criticize. We're to be known as people that are encouragers in life. You know, Ephesians, Paul, Paul says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful to build up others according to their needs, that it may be a benefit to those who listen. In other words, most people don't need someone to cut them down. In fact, I, I have figured out in my years in ministry, most people know what's right, but they just need to be encouraged to overcome whatever it is. And my question is, are you an encourager or a discourager? What would people say about you? Bottom line, don't judge. And besides, judging, it's kind of premature. You know, Paul, Paul says, do not judge anyone now. The time for judging will be when the Lord comes. He will shine light on everything that is now hidden in darkness. He will make known the secret purpose of our heart. You hear that? That's a little scary, isn't it? Make known the secret purpose of our heart. Then the praise each person should get will come from God. Paul, Paul's saying, don't be premature in judging because you don't know a person's motives. You don't know what's in their heart. You can guess, but you don't know. In fact, he says, you just need to wait, because one of these days, 
Jesus is coming back, and God's going to shine the light, and he's going to make everything known. He's even going to make known our motives behind things. When, when I was in uh, college, um, a lot of my buddies, we played pranks on each other, and we did it quite often. And I remember a friend of mine, his name was Hank, and he was a meticulous note taker. And when he took notes, I mean, he just, he just going for all he's worth and everything. We called him the mad note taker, you know, and he'd write. And so we decided that we were going to prank him. And so what I did, I distracted Hank while another buddy got in his book bag, took all of his pens. See, we were crazy, right? We replaced it with a pen that had disappearing ink in it. You know, you know the kind you, you write, and then about an hour later, it disappears. And so we made the switch. He didn't catch us. No clue. Later that day, we head into class together, and Hank starts digging through his bag. And so he's digging. And then pretty soon he goes, can I borrow a pen from somebody? The guys that were in on the prank we're all looking at each other like, where'd the pen go? What happened to the pen? And it was kind of a bust. We were kind of crestfallen. We find out later that day that Hank had loaned his pen to Tim. Tim had a big test that day and didn't have a pen. He goes, hey, you got a pen, man? And he gets the pen. You know where this is going, don't you? Tim turns in his test. All of his answers disappeared. <laughs> so here, here's the deal. Hank, Hank had loaned his pen to Tim. Tim got the pen. Hank thought he was doing something really good, given that. Tim, on the other hand, when it all came out, thought that it was intentional and that Hank had jammed him up, and it got ugly. I mean, it got really, really ugly. And, and we found out after the fact, so we're trying to straighten things out with Hank and Tim. We finally got them both calmed down and settled down. Then we had to go to our professor and tell this professor what had happened. And I'll be honest with you, I just wanted to disappear at that point. But uh, here's my point. Sometimes we think we know, but we do not know what we don't know. Does that make sense? Sometimes you think you know what someone's motive is. Sometimes you think you know why somebody did this or that, but you don't know what you don't know. And my point is be very, very careful and don't judge. How do we level up? How do we quit pointing fingers? How do we quit judging other people? Just real quick, I'm going to kind of blast through these. We need a heart to heart in our lives, and we need our heart to break, and we need our heart to break for what God's heart breaks for, and we need to remember a a few things. We talked about this one earlier, and I think we need to be reminded. We will be judged with the same judgment that we use to judge other people. That's pretty tough, isn't it? Jesus said, do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. 
turn to your neighbor and go, I'm in trouble. <laughs> we're, we're all in trouble. When we dish it out, it's going to come back. You've heard you, you reap what you sow in life, and that's true. We need to remember that one day we will give a full account of our lives before God. This isn't a salvation thing, but we will all give an account of what we did with our lives. Paul says, so then each of us will give an account to God. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. How's God going to judge? Well, God's honest, fair, truthful. It's not based on hearsay or rumors. God's going to have full knowledge of our motives and everything that we do. And I know sometimes our court systems, they don't get it right. Sometimes one criminal gets off easier than another. Sometimes guilty people walk free. Sometimes innocent people are convicted and sentenced in this world. Sometimes things are unfair in this world. But one day, God's going to settle that all. Justice will prevail. God's judgment will, will be impartial and consistent and righteous. And I think it's just really helpful to remember, I'm going to give an account someday before God. And then we need to remember how merciful God has been. How merciful God's been to you. Christians, you've got to remember that. You know, James says this, he says, For judgment will be without mercy for anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There's a principle that's greater than criticism, and it's a thing called forgiveness and mercy. Jesus, Jesus said it this way, it's part of the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I want mercy in my life. You know, Jesus tells a parable, it might be a good read this week for your devotions, but it's in Matthew 18. He tells about a servant that, that owned around $800,000 in today's money. And he couldn't pay. And so he begs for more time. He promises he'll repay it. And, and the king listens to him and finally is so moved that he just forgives the entire debt. So that servant leaves. And he's walking and he sees a guy that owes him money. And this guy owes him like $8,000. And he says, you need to pay up. And the guy goes, I, I can't pay. And so this servant that's just been forgiven this large amount of money, he has this guy thrown in prison because that's what the law says you can do. And he, he sends him to prison until he can repay the debt. So word gets back to the king. And the king, he, he says, have that servant that I forgave his debt, have him summoned here. And so the servant is standing before the king, and the king goes, so that's how you want to play it, huh? All right, have it your way. Because of your unforgiveness, that debt that I forgave, it's not forgotten. Throw him in jail until he can pay it back. Now, that debt was so big, 
he could have spent his whole life and couldn't have paid it back. See, Scripture says, be merciful to the people around you. Be patient with the people around you. Because why? Because God's been patient with you and merciful with you. You know, example of mercy, when I was at first in ministry, um, I, I was preaching my first revival. And uh, after, after the service, I hung around for a while, and then I jumped in the car, and I'm, I'm driving back home. And I hate this, I was speeding. And I look up, I see the lights, I pull over. Police officer comes up to the window, he's got the light, he's shining it, and then he goes, Reverend Talkington. (laughs) He had attended one of the earlier services we'd had in the week. He goes, did you know you were speeding? Yes, sir, I did. He goes, okay. And he talked to me for a while. He didn't write me a ticket, and he told me to slow down. See, I didn't get what I deserved. I deserved a ticket. I was speeding. That's mercy. That's mercy. A lot of people go, oh, no, that's grace. No, grace doesn't look like that. That's mercy. Grace would have been if he had said, hey, I want to give you 50 bucks. Go have a nice meal. You know, that would have been grace. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Grace is when you get something that you did not earn. Those are two different things. Sometimes we forget the mercy that God has had on us, that he's forgiven our debt, he's forgiven our sins. You need to remember that mercy, and then you need to remember the grace that God's given you. God has given it to you. Sometimes I think we take God's grace for granted in our lives. When we first become a Christian, we're we're experiencing God's love for the first time, and God's getting involved in our lives, and we see the blessings that God's given us, and we see how he's empowering us, and we know that we have heaven. And and so we're first experiencing that. It's overwhelming. It's amazing. You, You realize what God has given you. You realize what it cost God, that it cost him his son on the cross. And so it just kind of... That knowing that he, his son died for you, it's just kind of overwhelming. But the longer we're Christians, we kind of take it for granted. That's what I love about we're celebrating baptism today. It reminds me what it was like. It reminds me that day that I took that step. But so many times we take it for granted. You know, it's like the boss that gives the employees the first Christmas, gives them a $500 bonus. All the employees, oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, isn't he the most wonderful boss ever? Oh, praise for the boss. And they, oh, my goodness, the second year, the boss gives the $500 bonus. It's kind of like, yeah, that's okay. The third year, they've already spent the bonus before they even get it. And if they don't get it, whoo, watch out. And then people that get it, they're complaining, I can't believe he's still giving us $500, you know. We, we cost a living and everything. <laughs> True? Bosses are going, yep, absolutely. But that's how we are as Christians. 
And my point is, do not take God's mercy and grace for granted. Remember it today when you watch and those people take a step of faith. Remember. Take time to remember the grace and mercy God's had on you. Take time to be thankful. Take time to kind of soak in God's love. God has been gracious and merciful to you, and he continues to do that in your life. You need to extend that same kind of grace, and that same kind of mercy, and that same kind of love. I have said some of the people I feel closest to are the people that have fallen the hardest in their lives. And you know why? There is no pretense with them. They know who they are. And they're just thankful for God's love. They don't try and fool anybody. And they tend to be some of the most gracious, loving people that I know. They're always extending that grace. They're they're always open about who they are. And they're kind. And bottom line, extend grace, extend love. And today as we celebrate, for those of you that are Christians, remember that day you took that step. May it empower you to quit doing this and just reach out in love and try and lift people up. Now, we, we have some people that are being baptized today. Would you just stand up where you're at? I want to pray for you and then release you to uh, go. And um, let's just bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, you see the people standing right now. And God, we celebrate with them. We celebrate the work that you're doing and have done in their lives. God, I know there are some that are in other parts of the church right now. That, uh, But God, we pray that today would be a day they'd look back on. That it would be a day that would mark them. Not just today, but all the way to eternity. God, we look, we just um, thank you for your son. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you loved us this much, that you sent your son to die for us. God, we just give you the praise, the honor with everything we say and do. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. You guys can head to prepare yourselves for baptism. And uh, as a congregation, a couple things as the band's coming up. We will continue in worship here. I would ask that uh, after we, we sing and lift our voices to God, that we just go out in an attitude of, of prayer. And uh, if you're not able to stay for baptism, if you would go out, through the cafe doors, that would help uh, as we're gathering out on the patio. Parents, don't forget to, to get your children. We want everybody to be able to celebrate as family, as brothers and sisters, as Paul says. And so let, let's stand together, and, and we're going to worship God.